Now, if you have your Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. If you don't have your Bible, pull out your phone, click on your app, skip Angry Birds or Bejeweled or Bedazzled or whatever the game of the week is for now, and go straight to Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. You know, the good news is we only have two verses, and there's not a whole lot in the Bible about Enoch anyway, and so this sermon's going to be short, which is a good thing since it's 1027 already. And so I will keep us on time. You listen fast. I'll talk fast. Hebrews chapter 11, looking at verses 5 and 6, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Dear Lord, today I pray that you would help us to be challenged, that our faith may increase and that you may be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So perhaps the first question that we need to answer is, who is Enoch? After all, Enoch's name is mentioned here. Enoch is not mentioned very often in the Bible. And if you were to turn to Genesis chapter 4 and chapter 5, you'd see that there are two Enochs. In fact, in Cain's lineage, you would see that he named his son Enoch, although that's not the Enoch we're talking about here in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But you would see in Cain's lineage, you have Enoch, Arad, Mehujael, Methushael, and Lamech. Aren't you glad that they liked plain names in the Old Testament? In Seth's lineage, you have Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And so you can see it's through Seth's lineage that we are actually going to look today at Enoch, who would be the seventh from the line of Adam. And so that's the Enoch that we're talking about. But before we move on, I want to ask you a question and I want you to think about something. As faculty and staff, as students, as we look at the two Enochs of the Old Testament, as we catch a glimpse at who Enoch is, I want to ask you this question. What do you think your legacy on this earth will be? You see, think about the two Enochs. You have one who comes from the lineage of Cain. Cain, who we've already looked at, who had jealousy in his heart, whose sin crouched at the door, and instead of resisting that sin and temptation, he gave in to that sin and temptation and became the first murderer. As he became the first murderer, then born to him was Enoch, and then Arad, and then Mahujael, and then Methushael, and then you end up with Lamech. There's also a Lamech that's in Seth's image, but the Lamech that's in Cain's image is very different. For he was the first one who took two wives and introduced polygamy into the world as far as we know recorded in the Bible. He was also a man who murdered someone and said if Cain is going to be avenged seven times, then Lamech should be avenged 70 times. And so he murdered someone with brashness just because he could. The lineage of Cain is the lineage of sin. It's the lineage of murder and jealousy and polygamy. It's the lineage of distortion. It is the lineage of evil. The legacy that follows through Seth's lineage is Eshosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, and then Enoch. And of Enoch, it was said that he walked with God. And as you know, the old joke is that he and God were walking and talking. And one day God said, you're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? And from that point, he was taken up as one who never saw death. And then you encounter his son, Methuselah, who we know 
as the answer to the Bible trivia question, who was the oldest man to have ever lived? The answer being Methuselah at how old? 969 years old. You'll have to do better and get that more next time. Then we see Lamech, a different Lamech though. Not a Lamech that's from the line of Cain, but a Lamech that's from the line of Seth. And this Lamech is the Lamech to whom Noah was born. And it's in Noah and this lineage that you have the man who saved mankind through the ark instead of a man who killed a man and proclaimed arrogantly he would be avenged 70 times seven. Here you have two lineages. You have two legacies. What's your legacy going to be on this earth? You say, no, wait a second. That's the wrong question. I don't really care about my legacy. I understand that. Neither do I. But I do care about what people will say. Will they say that I glorified myself? Will they say that I built myself up? Or will they say that I just tried to serve God and glorify God and live in a godly way? And what I want you to think about today is when you die and people remember you, are they going to look back at your legacy? Are they going to look at your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? And are they going to see that you left a legacy of faith, a legacy that walked with God, a legacy that served God? Or are they going to see that you left a legacy that allowed sin's temptation to crouch at your door to entice you so that you gave into that temptation and a legacy then of your offspring doing worse and worse and worse things. Your legacy on this earth is never going to be different than the way you live day by day by day by day. So if you want a legacy of faith, that begins with a day of faith. That begins with a commitment to live by faith. It begins with a commitment to walk with God. And so here we see two legacies. We see, and I have it up here for the screen on you, the Cain's legacy of corruption, jealousy, and murder. You have the verses there where he took two wives and where he killed a man, and Seth's legacy. You have Enoch who walked with God, Methuselah with the answer, 969. Then God spared him death, and he was the great-grandfather of Noah. Which one of these two men would you like to be? It all begins with a decision to resist temptation, to walk with God, or to allow that temptation that sits at our doorway to entice us, to ensnare us. We also learn that Enoch was a prophet. He prophesied. Where do we get this, you say? It's from the book of Jude, one chapter. But if you look at verses 14 and 15, the book of Jude says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of their deeds and ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, I want you to notice something as I use the pointer to point this out for you on the screen. Jude was a writer who liked clarity. He often wrote in things of three and he had repetition in his writing. Look at how many times he used the word ungodly. Enoch wrote about these, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment to convict the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness, there's two, that they have committed in an ungodly way, there's three, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times in this one section of scripture, in two verses, he talks about ungodliness and how Enoch stood against ungodliness. If you want to have the lineage of a person who walked with God, of a person who is faithful to God, of a person who pleased God, of a person whom God testified as though you had a great witness and a great testimony, 
morning, you must stand against ungodliness. You must not be with those who are ungodly. You must resist that temptation and live a life of faith. This is all that we know about Enoch. So here in about 10 minutes, we have done a complete Bible study of Enoch. Hebrews chapter 11, Jude verses 14 and 15, Genesis chapter 5, and that brief section in Genesis and the genealogies where it characterizes him as a man who walks with God. So now we come back to Hebrews, and I have two points for you and one application for you, and then I'll close. As you look at the book of Hebrews, you understand that it was by faith Enoch was taken up. In fact, repetition again should draw to our attention here as the word taken up occurs three times in verse 5. You can see it here where Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, and so three times there's repetition to remind us, who is this person Enoch that he's talking about? Well, in case you don't remember him, he was taken up. By the way, did I tell you he was taken up? And let me remind you one last time, he was taken up. Important word in one verse, it's mentioned three times. So, since he was taken up, taken up, and taken up, let's look at that word and draw our attention to it. The word in the Greek I have for you on the screen. I have some of its various definitions for you on the screen as well. It can mean that he was translated. You understand what translation is. It's when you take something from one language, you translate it into another language. And in this context, it would be taking something from earth and translating that into heaven. And so, ain't it could be said to have been translated. It could be transferred. We understand what transfer is as well. You transfer from one degree or one major into another degree or into another major. You could take a transfer that would transfer you from one location to another location. You can change the place of, you can bring to another place, move, transport. We understand what transport is. Transport is famous now thanks to Star Trek and you get into transporters and you activate your beams and you go to various locations from one to another. And so here we could say that Enoch was the first person in Star Trek because he was transported from this life into another life. And so all three Trekkies out there in the audience got that joke and enjoyed it. The rest of you, there's more than three. Okay, I good. There's at least five. Thank you for that. We also see some other things in this verse. Not only was he taken up three times. But we understand when we look at this verse, and I'll back up so that you can look at it, God is active and Enoch is passive. Look at how the verse transitions here. Enoch was taken up, passive voice, and you understand from your grammar that passive voice means that you are not the one conducting the action, but that the action is happening to you. God had taken him up, and so there you have an active voice, and then you have Enoch in the passive voice again before he was taken. And so there's a point to be made from this, and that this taking up, God is the actor and Enoch is passive in this. What did Enoch do to earn this translation, this transportation, this change of location? Enoch was a person who had faith in God, who trusted God, who trusted in what God had told him. And so as our definition of faith has continued, trusting in God and in his word, Enoch did that, and Enoch was commended because of that faith. And that, in fact, leads to the third point of this first verse, is that Enoch was commended and pleased God. How was it that he was commended and pleased God? Let me back up and show you the verse here one more time. Before he was taken up, it says he was commended as having pleased God. How are you commended as having pleased God? We remember from chapter 2. 
chapter, verse 2, chapter 11, where it says, for by it, people of old were commended or received their commendation. So what is the it in the sentence in verse 2? It is faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So how is it that he was commended? He was commended by his faith. Now we move to my second point, an application, and then we conclude. The second point for you today is that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's the second verse that discusses Enoch. And so the writer understands you're going to wonder, why is it he was taken up? How is it he was commended? How is it that he pleased God? And he gives it to you right here in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's break this verse down for just a moment. If you look at this verse, it is two parallel contrasting statements. Without faith can be contrasted with to believe. Impossible to please God can be contrasted with draw near to God. And so what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying to you here is he's saying to you negatively, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he's saying to you, but for those who believe and draw near to God, you must believe and you believe two things. What is it that you believe? You believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Why is that important? It's important for you today and for us today and all of us to believe that God rewards those who seek him and those who believe in him. Because if you believe sin on this earth will bring you greater happiness, greater rewards and greater joy than God, you will commit sinful actions. If you believe that God's reward is the best reward for your life and that he will ultimately reward you more, you will resist that temptation and pursue godliness. So what do you believe this morning? Do you believe God and do you believe his word when he tells us that if we follow the instructions he's given us in this book, that we will ultimately be rewarded, that he ultimately knows what's best for us? that he ultimately wants what's good for us? Or do you believe the devil, the father of lies and deceit when he tries to snare us and tempt us into saying things like, oh, do you wanna be like God? Take a bite off of the fruit of this tree. Far too often, we give into the temptation of the father of lies and we deny God. With our own actions, we admit that we really do not believe that God has our best interest at heart and God will reward us and God wants what's best for us. But here it talks about Enoch, a person who walked with God and what did he believe? He believed that God existed and he believed that God rewards those who seek him. And that's what he's ultimately after. He wants those who seek him. You know, I put out on Twitter and on Facebook this weekend as I was working on this message, this statement and a question to various people on what do we try to please God with? So these are not all my thoughts. Some of these are responses via Twitter, via Facebook or email. But it really struck me when it said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that thought for just a minute. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How often is it that in our own lives, we think we're pleasing God when we do good things? How often is it that we get up and go to church because we wanna please God? We do our quiet time to please God. We do prayer time to please God. We sing. We lift our hands in worship to please God. We do things that we think are pleasing to God. And yet Hebrews 11 tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. Look at a few on the list that people sent me over the weekend. What about wealth and success? Well, if I'm successful and I'm wealthy, that's going to be pleasing to God. By faith, wealth and success may please God if you use it according to his purposes. But wealth and success, and and don't get confused. 
The American dream itself is not part of Christianity and it is not guaranteed. If you achieve the American dream and you do so by faith, and you do so like a man who passed away today, Truett Cathy with Chick-fil-A, and you operate with an understanding of a biblical worldview and through a biblical mindset, then wealth and prosperity is not evil in and of itself. You can do great good for God if you will use that wealth by faith for his purposes. But the American dream is not Christianity. Poverty is also not Christianity. If you decide to live off the lowest possible means and you give things away to the poor and you do so out of a motivation of wanting people to look at you and how great you are and the motivation of your heart is your own self-recognition and your own attitude and your own character and it's not done by faith, then we can minister to the poor. We can fight for social justice. We can have self-righteous service. We can give until we have nothing left to give. We can work for the social gospel. But if we do not do so by faith, if we do not do so with the gospel in mind, then even that service, as noble as it may seem, does not please God. Academics. Today we are dressed in our finest regalia. We put on the show of academics and we have all of the pomp and circumstances that go with it to convoke a semester to a beginning, to talk about what we do, relating back to the history and the tradition of what is taking place here. We have people who have worked years to have the credentials that they have. Some have gone to school, not counting high school, for eight, nine, ten years in addition to high school just to have the credentials to be able to minister to you. And yet what this verse strikes me as saying is that if we look at academics and if we look at knowledge and we look at it without faith, apart from faith, then our best thoughts, our brightest minds, our highest academics do not please God if we do them without faith. And student, you must understand that as you start to learn and as you start to realize more information and you know more than other people do, there's a tendency to become arrogant and prideful in that knowledge in and of itself and to become boastful in and of yourself and you think higher of yourself than you ought. And we have to recognize that without faith, we do not please God with our arrogance. We do not please God with our knowledge. God is not impressed with the number of facts that we know. God is not pleased with our IQ. God is not in amazement and awe at the ability that you have to construct a paper or to write a problem or to construct something through engineering or to work through nursing and serve others. God is not impressed with us unless it's through faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Church attendance, worship, coming to Cedarville University does not please God apart from faith. Do you understand that this morning? I think that convicts us all. Myself, this esteemed faculty, staff, students, I think there are times we all think a little too highly of ourselves and we think that there's something in us. You, maybe we write something and we begin to think, I'm the only person that could have written this in this way. It's just it's my keen sense of intellect, my ability to understand and craft words that are so fine. And, and we look at this and we take some, some pride in this. And instead of giving the glory to God, we begin to reflect that glory back upon ourselves and we stand with our shoulders back and our head held high when what this verse is telling us 
is that unless we are reflecting through faith everything to God because he is working through us, then we are not pleasing God. May it be said of us that by faith we draw near to God, not that we try to please him with our own works. It's my closing question for you. What are you trying to do to please God?